We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Zot Talk Radio, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Stop Talk Radio. I am Joe Quinn, and my co-hosts this week are Joel Neil Bradley. Hello. Juliana Barambam. Hola. And Harrison Keeley. Hi. Harrison and Chu, for short. Harrison and Chu. That's the vernacular. Yes. So, welcome to the show, folks. We... um, are going to follow the same uh, general uh, format we've been following for the past several weeks, which is a rundown of stuff that's been happening in the news over the past week. And there has been a lot of stuff happening in the news over the past week, and none of it's good. So if you're here for the good news, you better just go do something else (laughs) right now. Uh, But we'll try and make it uh, entertaining or as entertaining as it is possible to make bad news. Uh, so take it away there, Neil, with our very first story. What's it about? Well, I think the big news would be, it wasn't that big an event, but it took a lot of attention in the media. The shooting in Ottawa on Wednesday morning, it was in fact the second quote-unquote terror attack in Canada that week, uh, what would otherwise have knocked out a lot of attention because it was just one person killed. I don't say that lightly, of course. But in the context of so many shootings happening, I mean, in this week alone, <laughs> there were police, obviously soldiers in war zones, but police were killed. Police killed people in Canada, in the US, and just about everywhere else. So why this event? Why did it get so much attention? Why did <clears throat> why did the shooting in Canada get so much attention? Yeah, uh, because it was jihadis and it's the clash of civilizations and the Muslims are coming to get us. Didn't you hear? Where have you been for the last ten years? These were radicalized, crazy jihadi nut jobs who just hate us for our freedom and democracy, and they just want to kill anybody and everybody in the West because of their freedom, because everybody knows Muslims don't like freedom, right? Uh, they hate freedom, like freedoms like, you know, well, they don't like being alive for a start, so that's a kind of major problem for them, that anybody else is alive, right? Yeah. So that's a kind of one of the basic freedoms, mm-hmm. being alive, I suppose. Uh, so they like to kill people and themselves. They love death more than life. And they also, um, they hate, so they hate the, the freedom that is to be alive and uh, by implication, breathing, uh, seeing, hearing, and listening and those kind of things. Um, you know, eating, they don't like to eat or, and they hate people who, who eat, you know, and there's a lot of eating goes on in the West, you know, McDonald's and all that kind of stuff. So they really, really hate that, um, you know, driving cars, having houses, living in a house. Having children, geez, I really hate having children and having families. That's just well, I won't even ask you what they think of having a job. 
Oh, having a job just like I mean they, that just makes themselves that makes them explode on the spot. <laughs> like whether, whether or not they have any bombs attached to them or not, you know, I mean, they'll just they'll just go bonkers. Um, <clears throat> so uh, that's why, and this is obviously a very serious thing for uh, for for the freedom-loving peoples of the world that such people exist who want to just destroy everything. Uh, therefore, it has to be hyped up in the media. Um, we to, are, of course, to, tell, to inform people so that they can protect themselves against uh, uh, these kind of freedom haters, you know, life haters, existence haters, really. We are, of course, being sarcastic, but who is? <laughs> but if you don't like sarcastic shows and you want to hear the same thing said only by people who actually believe what Joe just said, you could, of course, go and tune in to Glue. I don't know Fox News, Glenn Beck, maybe. No, yeah. So obviously, that's the official narrative, but the more or less, that's the the basic concepts that people kind of get programmed into their brains by watching the Western media about uh, these kind of attacks. Um, what they are in reality is um, just scaremongering, fearmongering. Uh, it's a promotion, a continued promotion of the, the bogus uh, war on terrorism and the Islamic terror threat. Uh, and, you know, to keep that uh, ramped up and in people's faces, keep it front and center, um, you have to carry out uh, or have such attacks occur from time to time to remind people of this threat which keeps them afraid which keeps them compliant uh, and in favor of uh, western military excursions and adventures and imperialism across the world Uh, you know bombing Iraq, bombing Syria, getting rid of Assad, all that kind of stuff, that all needs uh, public backing, It's it's an interesting question actually uh, as to how these power brokers, the elite, so-called elite, uh, view that requirement to keep the public on side, keep them afraid, and uh, thereby supporting or supportive of uh, wars of imperial uh, expansion. So... Uh, I, I can only assume, I don't know exactly how they think about it, but I can only assume that they see it as quite important uh, to keep people on side. Why they don't just go ahead and do it and say, screw the people? Uh, probably because it's easier for them this way, because otherwise, eventually, if the truth was to come out, if they weren't to keep you know, hammering on this fear, fear, fear thing, and they're coming to get you, and you're, you're going to be killed, and we need to protect you over there before they come and get you over here. Uh, if they weren't to do that, it will become more obvious, eventually very obvious, that what they're actually doing is just, you know, using uh, Western people's, Western citizens' tax, pay, tax money to um, to launch wars of uh, for profit, essentially, for them. So it's a, essentially a money laundering operation where you take uh, Western citizens' taxes that should be used to improve their lifestyle and funnel it into the military to go and... Uh, uh, wage a war in another country and occupy it and steal the resources and take all uh, that uh, uh, wealth from another country and funnel it up to these elite. So it's just a kind of like a, a circular money laundering kind of a operation. And ultimately it comes from Western taxpayers' pockets. Uh, so 
to keep them happy with that and not protesting and maybe not, you know, getting out in the street, make, that would kind of make it difficult for them to do it. It would, you know, they wouldn't be able to do it with quite so much ease. Uh, so they keep them afraid and keep them on song and, uh, you know, compliant essentially with this kind of warmongering policy because, um, uh, you know, well, if people, if people were to protest about it on mass, if the truth was to come out and people were, pro- about, were to protest about it on mass, uh, the elite would have to, you know, clamp down on them. And very quickly they would end up with a kind of a police state and it would be obvious then to people that they were living under a police state and then they would lose the, the, the bullshit narrative about, um, about the war on terror as well. Everything would fall apart. So you need to keep the people uh, afraid. And, and any other narrative they keep yeah. up with would yeah. be not believed. They don't want a dictatorship because under a dictatorship, a police state, a real overt police state where the elite do what they want uh, regardless of what the people say. And if the people complain, they beat them over the head. Uh, the, the, the problem with that is that, um, I don't know what the problem is with, with, with it actually is, uh, maybe they, maybe that's just too much, uh, too much effort for them to keep that under control. Why they don't, don't go ahead and just do that because that's more or less what they do. Maybe they get kicks out of doing it by deception, you know, keeping the people, uh, believing that they, um, I th- that, that they live in a free and democratic society mm-hmm. and continue maybe just to work and pay their taxes, you know. Uh, it's obviously through the wealth of the people, through the effort and the energies of the people that the elite are able to do what they, they do, are able to amass wealth themselves, etc. If you had a lot of people en masse kind of um, just uh, downing tools and striking or something, I mean, they don't want to see that. So how do you keep a people who are otherwise kind of normal, decent enough kind of people... Uh, how do you keep them on song with a warmongering policy where you're going, uh, sending their sons and daughters and the military over across the world to, uh, to kill other people and steal their resources? How do you keep them? Well, you keep them on song with that policy by, through fear. And Ottawa is an example of, of that applied to the Canadian people. If this hadn't happened and Harper got up and made a speech about how ISIS is an immediate threat on our doorstep here in Canada, Canadians would have laughed him yeah. off the stage. Yeah. I'm laughing right now. Now they still will. <laughs> A lot of them still will. How well, many? Well, I don't know. But you need, you, you need, <laughs> occasionally you yeah. do need to actually carry something out. Yeah, because this is the first so-called terrorist attack the, the, on Canada. This was right. Canada's 9-11, yeah, to quote the Ottawa citizen. <laughs> Did they really say that? Canada's 9-11? Yeah. And, um, Slight exaggeration. They're just a slight exaggeration. But for you know, for a country that's been going along with the the U.S. war machine for the past more than a decade, you know, this this is a big thing for Canadians because we haven't seen anything like that before. And so when something like this happens, for most Canadians, it's like you know they don't. I, I don't think most Canadians think too much about the war on terror, um, like you know, either conspiratorially or otherwise, it's just something that happens. And in Canada, it's like, okay, well, that that goes on everywhere. You know, oh, that happened to the States, but that's the States. You know, a lot of Canadians don't really like the States. I, I'd probably venture, like, I'd probably say the majority of Canadians don't like the States. Like, it's, it's President Harper and the people like him that do in certain areas of Canada. But something like this, for all those people that are just kind of living their lives, going to their jobs, just doing regular things, this this is a 
He does consider himself the president, doesn't he? (laughs) He's not. He's the prime minister, and he is subject to basically the UK. It's not really... On paper, yeah. On paper, no, in in practice. Well, yeah. And I'm not just pulling this out of my... This week, a former Australian prime minister died. Uh, What's the name again, Joe? I can't remember the name now. Whitlaw, something like that, Whitlaw. He was just prime minister for three years in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. He tried for the first time to actually bring about some genuine progressive changes for people, for the majority of people in Australia. He was oosted in a blatant coup d'etat mm-hmm. when just on paper, the official head of state, which was the Queen's representative in Australia, mm-hmm. the, the vice governor, the governor general, just yeah. lex- called elections and that was it. Yeah. Anyway, moving on, but yeah. So Harper, yeah. Just to to finish my point there is that people will really respond to this the way they're supposed to respond to this. You know, totally irrationally, but you can understand it. That it does it does frighten them and they say, "Oh my god, you know, now something's actually happened." When if you actually look at it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Um like the the response to it has just been totally over the top for what actually happened. I mean, in June in New Brunswick, there was a, a guy, um, a 24-year-old named Justin Bork, and he opened fire on a group of RCMP. Five, he shot R, five RCMP officers, killed three of them. There was this giant manhunt for like 28 hours. They finally caught the guy, and he was charged with first-degree murder, mm-hmm. like he should have been. He was arrested. He was arrested. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't summarily shot in the head no, 17 times. No, no talk of terrorism, no talk of introducing stricter, you know, harsher laws, you know, to combat this kind of thing. It was exactly <laughs> what it was. It was a murder, and it was tried as a murder. That's what this was. This was, you know, it's the, the, the idea of a terror attack is a totally fictitious thing, especially in this context. It was a murder. It should be tried as a murder. That's how it should be approached. What's the real difference? You know, a person murders someone, if they have a, a reason and they do it in a premeditative fashion, then it's first-degree murder. Mm-hmm. If this guy had some kind of jihadi tendencies, it was first-degree murder. He was mm-hmm. armed with a Winchester deer-hunting rifle, yeah. which is a maximum of seven, maybe eight cartridges it can hold. Mm-hmm. He discharged at least all of them mm-hmm. and didn't reload. Mm-hmm. I know that because... The, they said he fired X amount of shots at the first officer at the war memorial, the first, uh, yeah, first soldier, one at the other guy. That left him at three, maybe four. He fired two at the doorway entrance mm-hmm. and one left, and he fired that somewhere in the hall. Yeah, yeah and that's what, and that's what, that's what prompted the, uh, the barrage of gunfire from the 10 or so cops that were all there. And that came what, after he was shot dead, I think, by the, the hero. The sergeant, uh, sergeant at arms. Yeah, sergeant. Like the official guard of the parliamentary chamber. Yeah, no, but that would have that that would have been in response to a shot that he fired within the parliament buildings, right? Or maybe, or maybe he just pointed his gun at them, whatever. But all of the shots that all the uh, Canadian politicians who were cowering in the chamber and Harper hiding in a broom closet with uh, probably put a wig, in, uh, not a wig, a mop on his head to kind of disguise himself, you know. Um, that's what they all heard outside the uh, outside the chamber door was the police firing at this guy. So, but, but they were all they were barricading the door, thinking there were there was going to be a Muslim horde coming in to get them and stuff. It's quite pathetic, actually. But um, just to answer Harrison's uh, or to comment on what Harrison just said, 
about what the difference is between the guy a few weeks ago or a few months ago who um, shot five Canadian policemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy wasn't a Muslim. Yeah, exactly. The only difference is that these this guy on last Wednesday and the guy previously who knocked down two police or two soldiers with a uh, with his car, um, he was a Muslim as well. Recently converted to Islam. Um, so obviously this is a religious. Uh, well, it's a religious war, despite what's been said for ages. The only difference, uh, the thing that defines terrorism these days is if some kind of violent act is carried out by a Muslim. Therefore, it's extreme discrimination against uh, people of a Muslim, the Muslim faith. Uh, therefore, it's a religious war. It's a new crusade. Uh, of course, it's all contrived. It's all contrived, but that is, if, if you follow the official narrative, it's amazing that people haven't actually come out and, and, and recognized that and made it, made it explicit that obviously this is about Muslims because these two guys were radicalized online and joined, uh, they, they became Muslims, then they were radicalized uh, by some, when they talked to some FBI or CSIS, uh, the Canadian Intelligence uh, informant on a, on a website somewhere or in a, in a chat room. That's how they become radicalized. They get uh, suggestions by uh, intelligence informants acting as Al-Qaeda or ISIL or whatever uh, agents um, to encourage these young, vulnerable uh, guys, usually with uh, a history of psychological disorder, drug addiction. They whip them up into a bit of a, a frenzy, which isn't very hard to do, and encourage them to go and carry out some or attempt to carry out some uh, some attack against the security forces, and then they're Muslim terrorists, and it's a Muslim terror threat. And as Harper said, you know, we got to now go and we really have to go now and uh, and bomb Iraq and Syria and maybe even depose Assad and stuff because uh, of this event in Canada. The whole thing's ridiculous, you know. And it, the guy Stephen Vickers, mm. the official palace guard or whatever he is. He wouldn't have known that, right? So why did he just shoot him dead? He, he emptied his gun, went back and reloaded it, and came back. Mm. I don't know if he fired back at him like 10 minutes later, but mm. uh, he of all people would have known, you know, you try and disarm the person, shoot him in the knee, mm. get the gun off him. There seemed to be an understanding here that he's going to execute this person. It's very possible that he you know, works for Canadian intelligence and has been for a long time. It's not surprising that you know, Canadian, Canadian intelligence have people either overtly or covertly within <clears throat> you know, uh, the political security framework, obviously, the, for, for various different reasons, for intelligence gathering, for keeping an eye out and so, all this kind of stuff. So you could have been in on it and knew what was going to happen and, uh, and I was tasked, tasked with the job of, um, of making sure that this guy couldn't, uh, didn't appear in court and couldn't get to tell a story, which is pretty much the case with... Uh, all of these Muslim terrorists, they either are uh, killed out of hand um, when they when it's not necessary, or they're taken away to Guantanamo or kept in isolation. And uh, if they ever do appear in court, they appear to be kind of heavily drugged and make no sense whatsoever. So, um, yeah. Well, and then when was it? Just uh, just yesterday or the day before when there was that hatchet attack in New York? Mm-hmm where a guy with a hatchet attacked some police officers. Mm-hmm. And just just today, or late yesterday, 
the, I think the police chief or one of the head cops over there had said, oh, yeah, there's this is a terror attack. Yeah, exactly. It's anything to be a terrorist attack. It's just some, uh, a, black, he was a, Muslim. A, a black guy who's a Muslim. Uh, I mean, I told you, I mean, I don't know what it's going to get to, uh, you know, when a Muslim, you know, shouts at a cop and says, I hate pigs or something, you know, uh, that can be a terror attack, a verbal terror attack because it's Muslim, you know. Um, yeah, this guy uh, in Queens in New York, Pulled a small hatchet out of his bag and attacked two kind of uh, rookie uh, policemen who were posing for a picture. Uh, there were four of them. He attacked two of them, hit one in the head and one in the arm. Um, and he was, you know, he went down in a hail of bullets as well. But that's not unusual in the U.S. The U.S. police forces generally shoot first and ask questions later. In fact, when they were when they unloaded their guns at this guy, they ended up shooting a bystander, a woman as well. And she's in pretty bad condition in hospital. Um, so, yeah, that was another terror attack. And that was just, um, when was that? Was that that was Thursday or Friday? That was, or maybe the same day as the, uh, it was. I think one, it was the day after, but I'm not, I'm not. Oh, it was Friday, actually. So it was two days after that. So on Monday, you had the running down with the car uh, in, uh, in, I think it was in, in Quebec. In Canada, yeah. Then Wednesday, you had the Ottawa attack, and then Friday, you have uh, a little follow-up in Queens, New York. Where also on Friday, you had uh, another school shooting mm-hmm. yeah. in Washington. Uh, they're not going to try and call that a terrorist attack, but uh, well, that's because it wasn't a Muslim. It wasn't a Muslim, no. <laughs> <laughs> if, it was, it, if it was a Muslim, it would be a terror attack, <laughs> believe me. The funny thing, I'm not surprised about the U.S., but the, the, uh, in Canada, the fact that Harper got away with saying so much just after this mm-hmm. relatively small incident. I mean, what did he say? I mean, there is basically he's advocating for or approving uh, thought police, basically, and mm. preventive detention and stuff like that. I mean, they can pull you out for questioning or put you in jail just because you think differently. I mean, mm. that's like yeah. totally overt suppression for just one murder yep. yeah well, i mean is well, that i mean the, do the canadians need so little <laughs> to be convinced the, the, this legislation was on the cards mm-hmm. to be yeah. discussed this week in parliament lo and behold this event happens mm-hmm. it's going to sail through it's going to be fast tracked and, and i mean they called it canada's patriot act blah 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 so it's uh, definitely a state op whether it's just Canadian, it's probably also CIA involvement. Yeah, the Americans are going to be. Yeah, the the guy in Ottawa, uh, Bibo, he uh, he had been on four occasions. He had visited the U.S. I mean, it's a very murky. There's not a lot of information about his background, except that him and the other guy on Monday, both of them were just average kind of. Um, well, the guy on Monday was uh, was a Canadian, was a white Caucasian Canadian. Who used to like you know drinking beer and going to parties and eating bacon like most Canadians mm-hmm. and um, and then just eighteen months ago he converted to Islam and was radicalized online had a few connections with uh, supposed other jihadi types on the internet and then suddenly he decides to you know run down to a policeman in his car. Uh, the cops give chase and the first we hear about it he's dead. Well, the cops give chase, his car, he rolls his car over into a ditch, comes out of the car with a knife, supposedly, uh, and then they shot him because he had a knife. So, um, the, the second guy, Bibu, his father, 
was um, he's of Libyan extraction. His father's Libyan, uh, but he was born in Canada. And, oh, um, Lebanese, I think. No, Libyan. Oh, was it Libyan? Libyan, okay. yeah. And his father was uh, fought with the Libyan rebels in the NATO uh, CIA-sponsored coup in Libya in 2011 to overthrow Gaddafi. So his father has a very interesting background there. Um, some of it kind of decided to keep it in the family, you know, people working for the intelligence agencies to uh, to overthrow, um, you know, uh, leaders of of Muslim countries and also to make uh, Muslims look very bad in general by uh, presenting them as terrorists. Um, so There's yeah. also the, the drugs connection. Yeah. We have, I mean, Bebo had something like 10, arrested 10 times or 10 drugs offences committed. Yeah. Although it was fairly small time kind of stuff, but um, that's enough as long as you come under their radar. Yeah. They pull once, you in, they can once you're caught, you're in the... Yeah. I mean, especially, <clears throat> do you want to go to jail or do you want to work for us? So there you go. We knew that the younger of the two Boston bombers, they said, was a pot smoker. Mm. But the older brother later turned out he was at least placed at the scene of a large drugs bust, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. And when you think about who really runs the drug networks mm. and the police informants and how that works, they have an entire underclass of society to just pick and choose from. Mm. There's nearly always some kind of drugs connection. Yep. So that's Ottawa. Uh, that's Canada. Canada has uh, joined it, the you know War and Terror Club. Uh, it's been initiated. Uh, As one newspaper said, it's been blooded. It's been blooded. There you go. Blooded into. I, they said this with pride. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're happy way. about it. Yeah, well, they, you know, I mean, it's must be hard for the Canadians to kind of play second fiddle there and never have a terror attack. You know, it's what. I mean, are we not important enough to have a terror attack? Well, what's wrong with Canadians? I mean. Don't the Muslims hate our... What's wrong with our freedom? Don't they hate our freedom as much as they hate American freedom? We're freer than America. Why do we... Yeah, absolutely. They're freer than America. They've got, like, they've got free health care in Canada. Surely the Muslims hate that. I mean, that that really must piss them off. You know, free health care? No way. So I'm sure a lot of them are happy that, uh, that the Muslim terrorists don't like Canada as well and that they saw fit to carry out... Mm, you know, not exactly, you know, it's okay, well done, it was a decent enough, you know, attack on Canada, but it's kind of small potatoes, you know, in, in the, when you consider Boston bombings, 9-11, you know, London bombings and stuff, you know, a guy with a car, really, and, and then just a guy with a Winchester rifle, like a White West rifle type thing, it's not, it's not big time terror attack, and but that's maybe indicative of the fact that uh, Canadian intelligence agencies, uh, uh, aren't really very practiced in this kind of a covert operation where you manipulate some young guys to, to carry out an attack and then use it to justify Canadian involvement in wars of uh, wars for profit and in Iraq. So um, it's it's they're not very practiced at it. So they got to start off small. You know, you can't go trying to carry out a bombing and then cover that up. That's more complicated to cover up. So just having it simple. Uh, means that you don't have to have, you know, too many cover stories and cover up too many details behind it because you can just get the guys to actually do it. And if anybody tries to look at it, well, it looks like they really did do it. But what's hidden is why they did it, who they were talking to, and the, the likely revelation that they were talking to people that were involved with Canadian Canadian intelligence. Um, and that's why they did it. So, yeah, but... These guys are the people they use. They're simultaneously useful at home 
if the case, if the need arises, mm. we can get you to do this. But look how both of these guys, or one of them certainly was, had his passport taken off, mm. both of them, both of them, mm-hmm. because they were trying to get to Turkey to go join the ISIS, right? Well, yeah. This, I mean, this is happening all over the place. Mm. The, f- the first guy in the car, he was on a, a high-risk flyer list, and there's 90 Canadians on that. The second guy in Ottawa, he wasn't, but he did have his passport confiscated in July when he tried to go to Turkey, and then he was maybe put on or whatever, but he wasn't. Up until that point, he wasn't uh, um, He wasn't on their kind of watch list, let's say. But yeah, I mean, there's so many of these guys that's been talked about in Europe and in the US about all these young kind of Europeans and Americans wanting to go join, you know, joining, converting to Islam and then wanting to go off to Syria. Um, they complain about them, politicians complain about this, this kind of flow of, uh, of, of people going to join ISIL or whatever. But they don't seem to do very much about it. And when you see some of the cases, and in this case there's a Canadian guy, it was because of this uh, Ottawa business, that was uh, it highlighted a case of another uh, white uh, Canadian guy. I think his name was, uh, his surname was Maguire. Um, it was maybe like David Maguire. <laughs> and he was just a blonde-haired, you know, young guy from Canada, no you know, history whatsoever of anything. And then he just said, I'm going to be a Muslim today. And then not long thereafter, he took off to from Canada to uh, Syria and had a Facebook page where he's posting uh, from ISIL territory in Syria uh, of saying, yeah, I've seen a lot of dead Assad soldiers and, you know, Allah Akbar, you know, it's all good and it's great. And I'm wondering, how does the average pasty white Canadian you know, guy just out of his teens managed to get on a plane. Okay, he can get on a plane, but how does he get, you know, from Canada to Turkey, then from Turkey into Syria, and then right into the middle of one of the most horrific war zones that we've heard about in recent years, like where there's beheadings all over the place, and he's just wandering around going, hey, it's kind of cool here, you know? But why isn't he dead for a start? A white guy appearing in the middle of ISIL territory, surely he'd be thought of as a immediately as a, an agent, right? You work for the CIA, right? Oh, so we're going to cut your head off. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know how he gets to do that. Can you, know? you direct me to ISIS headquarters? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> he's got a map and he's going, I'm looking for ISIL. Are they around well, here anywhere? So the only conclusion I can come to is that there's a jihadi tours company, like a jihadi holiday. Jihadi air. Jihadi, well, jihadi holiday company, you know, a, a travel company, travel, travel agency, travel agency uh, run by Western intelligence agencies where they kind of pick up on people and these dupes, kind of, you know, hapless dudes on the internet uh, who show an interest and they contact them through their informants and they say, hey, I can get you to, I can get you to, the to, Holy to, Land. to, to, to right into ISIL territory and you can become a martyr and, you know, join the fight and, um, and we'll get you a wife. We'll get you wife, we'll get you whatever you want, you know, we can make it all happen, you know, and we'll get you there on Air America. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, Jihadi Airways. Uh, and it'll be no problem. And supposedly, you know, the NSA watching everybody, you know, tapping everybody's phone calls, emails, internet activity, have just no way of stopping this from happening, you know. And he has to go halfway around the world to do it. And, you know, well, they, they say we've no way of stopping it, but if you let us have preventive detention... 
and all this stuff, mm-hmm. then we can do it. Yeah. If we let us clamp down at home, then we can stop this happening abroad. Yeah. But <clears throat> but they won't do it, obviously. And, and the benefit of having these guys go there and then come back is that they provide a plausible narrative for these kind of terror attacks, right? I mean... It, it really adds to the to the narrative if you can say, yeah, he traveled to Syria, uh, I traveled to Iraq, he hung out with ISIL, he learned the ancient art of cutting people's heads off, and he's now uh, come back and um, he, you know, threw a stone at a policeman. So he's a terrorist and we need to pass some more draconian laws to protect us from these type of people. Here's a story from a couple of weeks ago. Three French kids in northern Syria basically told to get lost. And no, they weren't. They were going to be they were going to be killed, like you were saying, because the other guys around them started to suspect they were French agents. Duh. Duh. So they flee to Turkey. In Turkey, they're arrested on suspicion of being part of a network that recruited jihadists for Syria. Duh. One of the men is the brother-in-law of Toulouse shootings patsy Mohammed Mira. The French Interior Ministry had announced before they actually came back that the three men were arrested at Orly Airport in Paris after being sent back there from Turkey. Then they issued another report the same day saying <laughs> the men hadn't landed in Paris but were instead put on a flight to the southern city of Marseille mm. where they just happened to walk free from the airport. The ministry, to cover this up, then said that the pilot of the Paris-bound flight had refused to allow them on board. So the Turkish authorities instead put them on a flight to Marseille. <laughs> yeah, insisting that the Paris police insisted they didn't become aware of this change until after the men had landed on French soil. Oops, they got away. And the first red flag there is the, the pilot turn them away because they didn't have the right documentation. What international flight do you get on where you show your passport and your boarding pass to the pilot? The second thing, of course, is according to their lawyers, these three men, including the brother-in-law of Mohammed Mira, are still free in France. He said they're not at large. They're not on the run in France. Oops, they got by and we don't mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another little glimpse into the world of how these kind of agents, you know, uh, are are operated uh, again? It's hapless dudes who like money. Uh, <laughs> you like money, you know. And uh, so here's some money. Go to Syria. Do this for us. You know, some bullshit story. Off they go. They're happy to do it. Just you know, join the join the army. You know, see the world. Have adventures. Off they go, and they're just used. You know, they're completely used. So unfortunately, here, and it's no surprise that all these people are. That 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 have been used as patsies and uh, dupes in these kind of terror attacks all have some kind of psychological issue or are just fundamentally kind of stupid. Yeah, we've got the German intelligence BND telling their government that by Christmas Germany can expect to have seven thousand ISIS types with battle experiences here. What the hell? Seven thousand home by Christmas? Yep. That's because they know. That's because we're meeting our quota. That's the BND saying we're going to meet our quota by Christmas. Yeah. Well, that's scaremongering, you know, as well. Yeah, it's kind of clever because at the same time they can't supposedly catch them. They get people scared because, oh, these terrorists must be walking around my city, you know, buying Christmas presents. Yeah. You know, 
they're going to blow up a nativity scene this Christmas, you know, in Germany. Uh, they're going to they're going to replace the baby Jesus with a bomb, <laughs> a baby Jesus shaped bomb, and it's going to blow up a nativity scene. And that'll be a Christmas present to the Germans. Amen. Mark my word. I got my my source told me that. I have a source. Why the media? The mainstream media do it. If they can do it, I can do it. I have a source. I can't say who it is. Who told me that? And I don't reveal the names of my sources. You have solid proof, but you can't show it, right? I have solid proof, but I can't show it. Yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anonymous law enforcement officials. Anonymous confirmed, confirmed to confirmed. Joe personally. Yeah. There are some horror stories, though. It's not just young guys getting caught up in this. I mean, there were three teenage girls. One was 15 from Denver, Colorado, attempting to board a plane for Turkey recently. Mm. There are already European girls coming back, three this week from France, Um, one pregnant 16-year-old from Austria, Mm. from a middle-class white Austrian family. Undoubtedly, there's people who do go, right, because they're... They're also stupid and naive uh, and try to go on, you know, they're not too concerned about those people going, so they let them through, but they're not actually being handled in any way. But there are people who are being handled who go, who are sent. I have a wee theory. Sheep dipped in Iraq and Syria and then taken back home. I have a wee theory why we're hearing more about the ones being turned away in the last couple of weeks. Turkey is not quite playing ball. Yeah. Up to the last four years, no problem. Send them here, we'll ship them in. But something's changing there. Something's shifting. Mm. Uh, remember how the PKK, the Kurdish mm. rebels, and oh, is Turkey going to... They're trying to be strong-armed by Washington to support the Kurds against ISIS. Yep. They shelled a PKK base of some kind in northern Syria this week, killing three of them. PKK retaliated, killing Turkish soldiers. Mm-hmm. So that is an old war mm-hmm. that's now layered on top yeah. of this. That that the Turks are kind of afraid that the that the US etc would uh, kind of ignite to put pressure on the Turks to to play the game, you know. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, I think that's enough on jihadis. I mean, I'm sure they'll be back uh, definitely by Christmas, as I mentioned. Um, but uh, other other scaremongering has occurred this week, and it's been uh, very entertaining, if nothing else. This is, it's not the jihadis are coming, but the old story of the Russians are coming, this time in subs to Sweden, <laughs> in super down. secret stealth subs that no one can find. Because they're not there. They're not there. But anyway, the media made hay while the sun was shining, and uh, as a as is a remit to just run with something. Uh, and in this case, as in so many other cases, they appear to have made it up <laughs> out of nothing. Um, in a year's time, as I was saying to Neil uh, earlier on today. Um, in a year's time, if you ask anybody in the street, do you remember that story about the uh, submarine in Sweden last year? And the people who can remember, which isn't 
isn't very many, but the people who can remember, say, yeah, that was a Russian submarine. Weren't the, Rus- the Russians were doing something really sneaky. They were maybe planning some kind of invasion or they were trying to spy on Sweden with their evil submarine. And that's because that's the narrative that has been established by, by as a result of the way the media uh, hysterically touted this story over the past week. And uh, just today, it was... They had to admit, uh, because this, the Swedish military admitted, that there probably was no sub. So it's a very strange situation where you, within a week you have a lot of hysteria about a Russian sub sneaking around uh, off, this, off the coast of um, Stockholm in Swedish waters, and then suddenly a week later, and I know there wasn't one. So the question is, what gives here? Well, it seems that the, the, um, the story started, and this is last, uh, it's over a week ago, last Thursday. Um, there were reports uh, that the armed forces of Sweden had intercepted a Russian <coughs> a distress call from, they had triangulated the position, and it was off the coast of Sweden in the water, and it was going back to um, to that Russian enclave, um, Kaliningrad. 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 Um, but this was reported by the Svenska Dagbladet newspaper. They are the only source for this first uh, admission. Um, the newspaper said that the information indicated a damage to Russian submarine. It didn't name its sources, just like me, but said the information came from persons with knowledge about the ongoing surveillance. <clears throat> but CIA. the next day the armed forces uh, said uh, by, by way of Admiral Grenstad said that they had no information about distress calls or that any emergency frequency had been used so the question is where was the, where's the Swedish newspaper getting this information from oh their sources but these are sources, obviously, that are above and beyond the Swedish military, the Swedish armed forces, because they knew nothing about it. Um, <laughs> this story is just, it's just uh, really hysterical. Um, yeah, a man-made object in the waters near the Swedish capital set off a search operation involving battleships, minesweepers, helicopters, and more than 200 troops scouring an area about 30 to 60 kilometers from Stockholm. And this was the largest mo- mobilization of the Swedish armed forces since the Cold War. So the media just went bazonkers with this. You know, the Western media, they loved it. You know, what is what, is, what are the Russians doing? Russian submarine on the, in the waters. Russia, 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 Russia is coming to get us. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, I can you imagine if they are, if they ever uh, combined Russian Russia with jihadis, like actual Russian jihadis? I mean, people people having heart attacks everywhere. Um, but anyway, an example of this kind of scurrilous yellow journalism coming out of Western media was uh, the Foreign Policy magazine, which is um, uh, Samuel Huntington formed Foreign Policy magazine, and he's the guy who penned the whole clash of civilizations back in the 80s. So you can imagine what kind of a magazine foreign policy is. Uh, they, their headline was, 
um, the hunt for Black October. <laughs> oh my God. The Swedish Navy is desperately trying to find a Russian submarine prowling off the coast of Stockholm. Here's the next bit. What is Vladimir Putin up to? Is he in that submarine? Is he driving it himself? Is Probably. it some kind of a, maybe a, a suicide mission? Maybe a suicide bombing submarine mission? It's going to ram it into the coast of Stockholm and, well, you know, these, this, this could happen, okay? It's plausible. Um, <clears throat> but it's interesting because <clears throat> this all comes in the, in, in the wake of last week we talked about uh, the idea of the U.S. government and U.S. military uh, opening their Cold War strategy books, mm-hmm. uh, revisionist, uh, what do they call it? Revisionist uh, Russia. Revisionist Russia, i.e. basically NATO and the West are looking at Russia today as the Soviet Union. And in the absence of any other, you know, kind of plan as to what to do about it, they're just simply opening their Cold War books and following a policy that they had. And, of course, the Cold War policy books are basically propaganda books. It's all information war. So that's exactly what we're seeing, an information war from the Cold War uh, days, reignited deliberately. Um, <clears throat> but just on the submarine thing, um, there's a book uh, called, uh, a book titled The Secret War Against Sweden, U.S. and British Submarine Deception in the 1980s. And there's just a little excerpt from it here. In 1985, after four years of continued reported submarine intrusions, Foreign Minister Bodstrom, that's a Swedish foreign minister, told the mass media that only in two cases had it been confirmed that Soviet submarines were involved. This was out of dozens of alleged submarine, Soviet submarine incursions into Swedish waters. Um, uh, he finally admitted that there were only two that they could actually verify were from from were actually Russian so, or so, Soviet submarines, and that they were they weren't doing anything in particular. So. Um, but Joe, you need to be vigilant, you see. You do need to be vigilant. It's for those, vigilant. that one time when they get through and they actually need to ram. Yeah, but here's the most Stockholm interesting Harbor. The reason they're doing this, the reason they did that at the time, the reason they faked the US and the Brits, uh, basically faked uh, either directly with their own submarines masquerading as Soviet submarines and uh, prompting the media to spread hysteria about Soviet submarines and Swedish waters, etc. The reason they did it was to increase military spending. And to you know, make sure that Western European countries stayed in the orbit, the Western orbit. And uh, an interesting uh, detail here from in the wake of this Putin submarine attacking Sweden bullshit made up story uh, is that uh, the government, the Swedish government, their proposed budget. Uh, for the next year, called for a greater than expected defense allocation, totaling 4.16, 4.16 billion Swedish kroner. That's for the next four years. Um, so right there, you have a kind of an example of uh, of really what this kind of thing is for, and that it's all completely. Um, this connects back to Obama's yep. speech to European heads of state and NATO members when he came to Brussels after the Ukraine crisis erupted. Mm-hmm. He literally said, straight out of the Team America World Police movie, mm. freedom isn't free. It costs a hefty fee. <laughs> he didn't quite say that, but <laughs> he said, y'all got to cough up now. Your budgets, your military <laughs> spending budgets are far too low. Didn't he say this? 
what Yale did If you were asked to give up your dreams for freedom What would Yale do If asked to make the ultimate sacrifice Would you think about all them people Who gave up everything they had Would you think about all them All right, that's enough. That's it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's um, there's something else he said actually. Oh, yeah? yeah, yeah. They they all sang together and stuff at the meeting. You know, yellow journalism submarine. Uh-huh. Uh, do you recall? Oh yeah. Yellow submarine. Exactly. We all live, live in, in a yellow, yellow submarine. submarine. A yellow journalism yellow submarine. submarine. Well, it, I mean, they are all like on LSD or something. It, just, the stuff coming out this week is just... Did you hear what George Soros said? He, yeah. the, the guy doesn't speak much, but when he does, he speaks it. You know, yeah. I mean, this guy is like... This is where oligarchy meets Zionism meets the pinnacle. Uh, he wrote an article in New York Review of Books called... Wake up Europe. Mm. That was the title. First line. Europe is facing an existential threat. Bum, bum, bum. It's basically an entire screed about how evil Russia is. It's summarizing the last, oh, every propaganda coup, well, so they think, against Russia in the last six, eight months, put together in one article, framed around this dire existential threat. Europe is facing. Mm. Well, he's just getting he's just getting desperate. Like I mean, he's like you know, he's like uh, he's a paranoid. He's not not that he's paranoid, but he's he's someone who like the West, like Western leaders, the Western elites, see the writing on the wall, see that the end of their heyday of their global hegemony is kind of coming to an end. Not that they recognize that that's going to happen, but they feel it. Right, because these people are the reality creators. Whatever they think and believe, they can make happen. <clears throat> so they don't imagine that it's all over for them, type of thing, and that something has to rebalance, has to has to occur. Um, but they still feel the pressure, and the feeling, this feeling of pressure, kind of gnaws at them. It's like the hound of hell at their heels, type of thing, of the potential loss of their their power. And um, it pushes them to act uh, and, uh, in, in increasingly irrational ways and say increasingly irrational things. And all they can do, when it comes down to it, is just scaremonger. So we see it in Ottawa with scaremongering, trying to terrorize the people. Oh, my God, jihadis are coming to get you. And, uh, and we see Soros, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, hysterically screaming about, you know, about uh, r- the Russian threat, uh, existential threat to to Europe and stuff, and it's just, I mean, the guy needs to be committed. I mean, look at the word like an existential threat. 
Okay, yeah, so all of Europe is going to disappear <laughs> going into to a disappear. black hole. It will cease to exist. Yeah. I mean, does anyone take this guy seriously? Apparently, <laughs> uh, probably, I hope not. But then, I mean, just back on the just the yeah. last thing on the Russian submarine again from this uh, this book. There were so many events like this uh, submarine scares, Russian at the time Soviet submarine scares around uh, Sweden because Sweden had a very progressive uh, kind of uh, generally had a very progressive neutral kind of a. Uh, uh, political system and, and uh, political parties, and they were always they were under a lot of pressure during the Cold War to remain within the Western orbit, and um, so they they put a lot of pressure on in the West. Uh, I mean, the US and, and the Brits in particular put a lot of pressure on the Swedes, uh, effectively by essentially by covert means to scare them uh, with the Soviet threat. So they sent in. Uh, their own submarines and broadcast uh, kind of signals from their submarines to make them look like they were Russian signals. You know, and they did this dozens and dozens of times, you know. And just from this, um, there was one event um, where they had taped, uh, they had investigated the seafloor to find out you know, what was down there. Uh, and the seafloor had revealed caterpillar tracks from a bottom crawling vessel that was believed to originate from an unknown Soviet midget submarine. Uh, however, while such submersibles did exist in the West, a Soviet version was never confirmed. Uh, and there was a tape-recorded propeller sound that was believed to be evidence of the Soviet submarine. But when, uh, when the recordings were investigated more closely, they had been polished down to nothing. All the important information had been removed from the tapes. Um, so eventually, Norwegian military intelligence, on analyzing the tape, found that the submarine recorded was not a Soviet submarine, either conventional or nuclear. Uh, instead, they believed it was a Western submarine. Later, the Americans confiscated the Norwegian copy of the tape. Uh, and one hour after the mine... Uh, yeah. Blah, 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 150 meters... It's it's so perfect. <laughs> Actually, what at least what happened was that they sent a mine down. There was a submarine that they were they were tracking, and they sent a dropped a kind of like a anti-submarine mine down. And um, one hour after the mine exploded, the submarine sent up a yellow green dye, uh, 150 meters from the explosion. And this was at the time was indication that it was a U.S. submarine, <laughs> or at least under U.S. command. <laughs> uh, so, although it was kept very secret, the operation seems to have been a Western UK operation to test Swedish capability and will, mm-hmm. and to deceive the Swedish government, military officers, and public in order to convince them about the reality of the Soviet threat. Remind our vassal why they need And they were doing us. this 30 plus 40 years ago, repeatedly. Yeah. And now we have... Uh, the same old story. It's so perfect. And it's the same old story. And it's called The Hunt for Black October. Yeah. The perfection of this in the, the paranoid fantasy world that the US and the global elite built and actually moved into is just beyond belief. Because the Hunt for Red October plot was concocted by Don Rumsfeld in the early 70s. It was basically an early version of the plot, uh, false flag plot that Joe just read out, which then became... The, the famous movie via the CIA scribe, Tom Clancy, who was fed this plot by Don Rumsfeld, 
and it became the famous movie, and everyone remembers Hunt for Red October, and the Russians want to defect, and blah, blah, blah. It was a great movie. I actually enjoyed it, but it was pure fantasy, and it was actually Donald Rumsfeld that came up with it. And yep. they literally live in this Hollywood fantasy. They should really start getting literary awards for this stuff. Well, the other thing is, so that's one angle on it, uh, on the Swedish uh, military, this uh, admiral said that it could be ruled out that it was uh, not a large conventional submarine that had been active in this archipelago of Stockholm. Uh, but he did not elaborate. So obviously, I mean, they have no evidence for it. They had this one picture well, of something white appearing out off off the coast type of thing. It could have been almost anything. Um, I think that was Putin's scuba and, suit. And some analysts have said that any foreign power trying to carry out intelligence work near Sweden's capital would, pro- would probably rely on small submarines, possible mini-subs with crews of perhaps just one or two. So while it sounds... I mean, it may sound a bit implausible or unlikely that they would go to this uh, these lengths, but um, you know, basically just to fake a Russian submarine scare and to scare the Swedish government into allocating more money for for defence. I.e., and when I said they allocated more of their budget, a greater budget to defence, that means they're going to be buying possibly they're going to be buying you know from Western arms dealers, right? So it's mm-hmm. money in their pocket, right? But um, it also made me think of a few years ago, the undersea cable mm-hmm. cuts that have been happening uh, off the coast of Africa and up to the uh, the, the Middle East. Uh, basically, there's cables, there's undersea telecommunication cables that uh, provide internet access, etc., for for most of the world. And these were cut in 2008 and in 2011, again, mysteriously cut, and it's... The idea that they were accidentally cut is... We, t- we wrote about it at the time. You wrote an article on it. Mm-hmm. And um, um, there are cables in that area where this sub, this non-existent sub was supposedly found. So it's possible that there could have been a small sub, uh, like a mini-sub, like they said, um, uh, paralleling what happened back in the 80s, this small kind of crawling sub along the bottom of the of the of the seafloor um, but it just it just made me think that they may have uh, you know killed two birds with one stone there they may have been tampering with uh, undersea cables so I mean, there's no reports that any have been cut but I mean it's a fairly uh, maybe it's fair, there's fairly advanced technology involved there are easier ways if it was for surveillance for example yeah. well there, there are, are easier ways to spy on Sweden for the U.S. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, the, there was a somewhat, a journalist asked, I'm pretty sure it was a journalist, asked uh, Foreign Minister of Russia, uh, Sergei Lavrov, about this whole insti- incident and asked what the communications between Sweden and Russia have been. And he said, well, there haven't been. There's been no, no communication over diplomatic channels about this. They haven't asked us about it or said anything about it. He said... It was pretty funny. He said, well, it was maybe it was just a log. But, exactly. But um, from that, in the same article, they said that the, the Swedish government hasn't even said that. Any, like you said, Joe, there was they haven't even acknowledged that they thought it was Russian or that there was no. anything Russian about but it. That's what I'm saying. This was, yeah, this was, was completely initially fabricated. Daily newspaper in Sweden by someone. And this gets us to the complete infiltration of Western media by intelligence agencies. You know, I mean... People don't understand the extent to which 
Western governments via their intelligence agencies control the media and put out stories, can with such ease put out completely bogus stories. I mean, it's like we're, we're living in 1984 here, you know, figuratively speaking, you know, and Orwell's uh, kind of like dystopian future where, where everything is controlled, where it's, there's a ministry of propaganda. And there is a ministry of propaganda and it does work very effectively. And your media is in no way impartial. More or less everything you read in the media is spun in some way from, along a spectrum from, from completely false and deliberately disseminated, knowingly false information to uh, the best case scenario is that there's a bit of truth in there. <laughs> That's the best case scenario. And actually, there's a guy, um, a German guy, a very uh, rare uh, individual called um, Udo <clears throat> Udo Ulfkotte. Uh, he's a German journalist. Uh, he was formerly an editor for one of Germany's uh, main dailies, the Frankfurter Allgemeine. Um, he was also an advisor to the Helmut Kohl government in, in the mid to late 80s. Uh, so he was a pretty, you know, well-known and uh, well-connected, uh, well-connected journalist. Yeah, but he has basically had enough now. And just uh, in the past year or so, he has uh, he published a book um, called called Bought Journalists, and uh, he's been interviewed on RT and stuff. And he uh, has been talking. His book talks gives lots of evidence about how uh, journalism and journalists in the West are completely bought, as he said, and they work for. Uh, Western intelligence agencies, they do jobs for them, basically. Um, and I have a, a part of his um, interview um, here, and he says some, well, he just gives an overview of, of what it was like to be a, a, a journalist effectively working for uh, Western intelligence agencies. Well, I, I've been a journalist for about 25 years, and I was educated to lie, to betray and uh, not to tell the truth to the public. But seeing right now, within the last months, how, how far, um, uh, how, how the German and American media tries to bring war to the people in Europe, to bring war to Russia, uh, this is a point of no return. And I, I stand, I'm going to stand up and say, um, it is not right what I have done in the past, uh, to, to manipulate people, to make propaganda against Russia, and it is not right what my colleagues do on, and have done in the past because they are bribed uh, to betray the people not only in Germany, all over Europe. The reason writing this book was that I, I am very fearful of a new war in Europe and I don't like to have this situation again because uh, war is not, never coming from itself. There is always people behind it to push for war. And this is not only politicians, this is journalists too. And uh, I just have written in the book how we have betrayed in the past our, um, our readers just to push for war and, uh, because I don't want this anymore. I'm fed up with this propaganda. We live in a banana republic and not in a democratic country where we have press freedom, where we have human rights. Uh, when we, if, if you see the German media, especially my colleagues, who day by day write against the Russians who are in transatlantic organizations and who are supported by the United States to do so, well, 
people like me, I, I, got, I, I became honorary citizen of the state of Oklahoma in the United States. Just why? Just because I write pro-American. I wrote pro-American. Uh, I was supported by the Central Intelligence Agency, by the CIA. Why? Because I should be pro-American. I'm fed up with it. I don't want to do it anymore. And so I, I've just written a book not to earn money. No, it will cause a lot of trouble for me just to, to give the people in this country, in Germany, in Europe, and all over the world a glimpse of a view what goes up behind the closed doors. If you go to your archives, you will find in March 1988 in Iraq, the Kurdish people have been, have been gassed with poisoned gas. That is known all over the world. But in July 1988, they sent me to a town called Zubaydat, that is uh, on, on the Iraqi-Iranian border. There was war, it was war between the Iranians and the Iraqis, and I was sent there to photograph how the Iranians have been gassed with poisoned gas, with German poisoned gas. You call it lost and zarin, mustard gas, made by Germany. They have been gassed, and I was there to make photographs how these people um, have been killed by poisoned gas from Germany. When I came back to Germany, there was just one small photo in a newspaper, in the Frankfurter Allgemeine, and there was one small article not writing brutally how unhuman, how ter terrible it was to kill, to kill decades after the end of the Second World War, people with German poisoned <coughs> gas. So this was a situation I, I feel misused uh, for, for, for having been there and just to give a documentary what has d been done but not been allowed to cry out uh, to the world what we have done uh, behind closed doors. Yeah, so he's a, a rare individual among uh, Western journalists who, many of whom know exactly what he's talking about, uh, but don't care. He actually cares and uh, has written a book and has decided to, you know, to, as he admits, make his life much more difficult by, uh, by exposing exactly how Western media works. And what he mentioned there about um, in 1988, um, what he's referring to is in the same arena of uh, the Halabja uh, attack on the Kurds, supposedly, which was used over and over again in the first Gulf War and in the, um, the first Gulf Turkey shoot and in the 2003 invasion and occupation of Iraq, uh, which was Saddam was gassing his own people. But as he just said there, it was uh, not so simple. And in fact, Iranians have been gassed by Iraqis as a matter of, that's what happens in war, right? Um, People use chemical weapons, and as he said, the gas that Saddam was, was using against the Iranians was German gas. But the only thing we heard in the, in the media, which was trumping another war, was that Saddam had gassed his own people. So and the former bullshit. CIA guy has gone on the record to say that the Iranians who did that, no, yes, that they were in fact Iranians, but on Iraq's side, yeah. they were the MEK cult. Yeah. Exactly. The terror group sponsored by Washington. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, they, they could pin it on Saddam because it came from inside Iraq. Mm -hmm. 
but it was the Iranian quote-unquote rebel group today, the opposition government in exile, mm-hmm. the MEK, that did it. Mm-hmm. So that was the whole justification for bombing Iraq in 1991. And in 2003, because mm-hmm. they used it again. Bush used it over and over again, gassing his own people. That's why they had to get rid of Saddam. Uh, yeah, whatever. Um, I'm thinking of that Rammstein song. Which one? We're all living in America. Oh, yeah. It's Wonderbar. <laughs> it's Wonderbar. I think it's interesting that the that this comes at this time from this German journalist. There's um, just recently there have been two incidents uh, interview. One with an interview with Putin just recently at the it's kind of like an intellectual conference in Sochi and. Um, there was another one. I can't remember where it took place, but basically Putin said that, that he was asked by Peter Lavelle from RT, actually, about the demonization campaign about against him and um, and his public image and how at odds it is and disparate between the West and in Russia. And Putin mentioned that, um, you know, there's nothing so great about him. Um, he just says what he thinks. Mm-hmm. And he's in a position where he is able to say that, to say what he thinks because of the position he's in and that there are many others who feel the same way that just can't say that. And there uh, in the other interview, I think it was, it might've been with the, with his economists, but they basically said that there is a lot of dissent against the West, against the U S in the Western European countries, but they are kind of being strangled and forced to, mm-hmm. to go with the party line and so there seems to be this undercurrent of something else going on with these Western European countries, but they won't actually go the distance. They won't refuse sanctions. Mm-hmm. And um, tying this into something else that came out of uh, German intelligence recently, the BND, the report on MH17, mm-hmm. or or it's not really a report. It was we know, have evidence. We are not evidence. going to show you. Yeah. But if you look at what the, the evidence that they say they have. They say that they have evidence that it was the Novorossian forces that downed MH17. But there's a change in details here. They said that the evidence is that the, the system, the, the book system that was used, now of course there's no real evidence, but they say the book system, system that was used was captured from the Ukrainian army. Mm. This goes totally against the whole narrative that has been going on since it happened, that this was a Russian mm-hmm. book system that was transferred to the Novorossians mm-hmm. and that was used. So the the BND, in, on the one hand, they are saying that it was the Novorossians. On the other, they're saying it wasn't Russia right. and that it was this Ukrainian uh, book yeah, system. They're removing Russia directly. They're rever- the removing Russia and they're totally contradicting what Kiev, what Kiev has been saying all these months, that they're... It wasn't a Ukrainian book system. It was a Russian book mm-hmm. system. And they had evidence and satellite photos of it crossing the border. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're, they've been far more explicit. The, the mask is really coming off uh, in so many ways. This week, the U.S. ambassador to Hungary went on the record to Hungarian media telling the Hungarian prime minister he needs to back off his stance, his pro-Russian stance. And get in line. He basically said that. I mean, when it gets to that point and you're not using your subterfuge, 
and your false information seeded in the country's media and you're just saying it straight to their face or else mm-hmm. uh, it gives you some indication of, of the, the level of dissent across Europe yeah absolutely uh, just as another example of um, of, of how the writing is on the wall on, on so many fronts for uh, for the West as the uh, you know the ruler of the world um China has just recently <laughs> just before we go to China yeah uh, Harrison mentioned that conference this is a it's been going over a decade now Putin's smart you know he's making mm-hmm. friends and they, at this conference he has a lot of people from the west come and participate you mentioned Peter Lavelle Marty was there, but I mean, he's in Moscow. Yeah. But they also had Seamus Milne. He's a top journalist for The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Uh, their resident uh, Russophile, I mean, he's, he's about to be fired, basically. <laughs> uh, he was, I think, moderating the, the last day speeches in which Putin gave a number of glorious quotes. Yeah. They're short, but they're funny. Well, they're not so funny, they're astute. In response to something, maybe Joe remembers what he was specifically asked, but he said at one point, mm. gods may do what cattle may not, but the bear won't ask for permission. Mm-hmm. And right there, I mean, he's saying they think they're gods mm-hmm. and we're all their cattle. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're the great Russian bear. Fine then. We're not going to wait around and have you tell us how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, he, he said explicitly of the all these revolutions and the regime change operations. The West creation, the West creation of color revolutions is like letting the genie out of the bottle. I.e., they can't handle. I mean, they, they've set something. They set something loose. They can, They ultimately won't be able to control. Mm-hmm. They think they can, but they, they can't. Or and it was going to backfire. They're delusional, you know. I mean. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I thought that was a very good uh, quote. It came just before Soros. Uh, Soros' comment about you know Russian uh, Russia posed an existential threat to Europe, but it, it it would have been a very good response to that, which is uh, you know that Russia Putin saying that Russia is you know a major power in the world and isn't interested in playing the subservient game that the West expects it to play anymore, um, and certainly even though there was no Russian submarine spying on or attacking or threatening to, you know, bomb or whatever, uh, Sweden, Russia has been expanding um, its military operations and uh, maneuvers and exercises, particularly around European countries and European waters. And it's entirely or fully entitled to do that, uh, particularly in the context of NATO, uh, you know, expanding right up to, to Russia's borders uh, in a very aggressive way. And uh, yeah, when he said um, he said that about cattle, it was, it was very appropriate. And he said well, the full uh, quote was that uh, yeah, the bear doesn't ask for permission. Uh, he's master of the taiga, and he won't give it up to anyone. Which is a reference to the fact that you know the taiga, Russia, um, uh, you know, it's not going to happen. What they want to do to Russia, what they, the the role they want Russia to play, a subservient submissive role uh, you know it's not going to happen and Russia will not back down and doesn't ask permission to do what is it what is it, it is in fully entitled to do it's not all 
scare pure just pure scaremongering tactics and and plots with more complex plots with submarines in in, in the Baltic Sea. Mm. This week um, there was a mysterious air crash in Moscow where uh, the head of the largest French oil company, Total, was killed in a plane crash. Christophe de Marjorie. He'd just come from a meeting with Medvedev, the prime minister in Russia, in Moscow. Went to the airport, his plane was taking off. It was immediately reported by Russian press that it had clipped a snowplow on the runway. They followed it up with another report that the snowplow driver was drunk off his head. Oops, terrible accident. But somebody, it gives me an idea that even in Russia, I mean, they're going to have agents all over the place, the psychopaths all over the world. So, yes, they're in Russia, too. This was the story they very quickly got out. Since then, the plane crash happened on Wednesday, no, Tuesday night. Um, since then, the snowplow driver's lawyer has said not only was he stone cold sober, he gave up the drink three decades ago. He had passed a medical exam that very morning with flying colors. And the chief and his assistant of this small, it's, a, it's one of Moscow's smaller airports, have been fired. And three other employees are, are under arrest for questioning by Russian authorities. So the Russians are keeping in mind that, I mean, I'm just going to, for me, that's just plainly the guy who's taken out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pretty sure the Russians will find evidence of sabotage or tampering because this guy, de Marjorie, wasn't just the head of France's largest oil company. Uh, he has been saying things these past three months that fly in the face of what Western oligarchs are supposed to be thinking about Russia. He specifically said that the sanctions against Russia are going to backfire. Of course, we know that. Um, the idea that we would, we Europe would stop getting gas supplies from Russia and source them elsewhere is insane because it's going to be too expensive to transport it overseas and for more remote places. He also said there is no reason to pay for oil in dollars. <laughs> Doing without the dollar would be good if the euro was used more. Of course, he's mm. saying that from a European's point of view. The dollar occupies too large a niche in the international oil and gas trade. Mm-hmm. The very fact that oil prices are quoted in dollars per barrel does not mean that payments actually have to be made in that currency. Mm-hmm. This, this, this is, I mean, this is why they took Saddam Hussein at the yeah. end of the day. So the chance, is, yeah, the chances are that uh, that the plane was, you know, it wasn't a snowplow. It was, you know, a bomb placed on it, and it doesn't mean that it was someone. Inside Russia, it means that, uh, I mean, it's not hard for, I mean, the U.S. has, uh, and Western intelligences have agents within Russia as well, you know, working kind of deep undercover, and it's even allowed, you know, uh, it has an embassy where, CIA, where the CIA work, you know, so there are CIA operatives, etc., in Russia, officially and probably unofficially, so it's not implausible that the plane was... Um, was was not did not crash into a snowplow and was uh, had a bomb on board or something like that. But yeah. you'd wonder. Obviously, the Russians would want to be kind of like quiet about it until they figured out what went on and then decide whether or not to actually act on it. act on it. We have a call on the line, so I'm going to go ahead and take it. Hi, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Oh, hi. My name is uh, hi, Andrew. I'm hi, calling Andrew. from uh, Los Angeles. Hey. 
Welcome to the hey, show. Hey, welcome. Uh, is, uh, which of you is Niall? That'll be me. Okay, good. Hi there. Hey, um, I just uh, found your channel. Ran across it on the internet because I'm into politics. And I was surprised uh-huh. to see that you had an article on McKinder and geopolitics, which is, yeah. uh, yes, that's good because uh, I assume either you've read Executive Intelligence Review. Yeah, Lynn LaRouche. Or, yes. Yeah, familiar with it, yeah. Okay, that's good. Uh, nobody, nobody ever brings up the fact that uh, what's going on there is just a continuation of these old geopolitical uh, policies. Uh huh. Well, we bring that up all the time. Actually, <laughs> we talk about it day in day out. <laughs> okay, good. Then you yeah. know there's uh, an opposite process going that the system is dying, and the response to the creation of the BRICS organization by Russia, China, and India, which is based on the old John Quincy Adams concept of a concert of nations for the benefit of the other is Mm -hmm. like the geopolitics, wars, assassinations, because since you brought up um, this Total official, right? Mm -hmm. This has been done before, um, like the Rapallo agreements, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, these assassinations of any uh, company executive who threatens to go in an opposite direction. I mean, Rapallo is a very, very good case, right? When they were putting the uh, putting the Nazis in power, and when a German yeah. goes and tries to do deals that would uh, threaten the way they were going to go. Uh huh. And it, yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, what do you think, guys? Think about like to the issue that we have something on the table in terms of these BRICS organization. That represents the lifeboat off this dead, dying system. Absolutely, they're. I mean, they're they're positioning themselves as the new kind of uh, center of power and center of wealth in the world, which which they are. And I mean, just um, today, China and India uh, and twenty one other countries uh, have created or signed an agreement to create a one hundred million. Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, which is basically a challenge to the World Bank. Yes, you're right. Um, so they're they're moving very quickly in that direction, and they have the means and the resources to do it to basically supplant uh, the U.S. Anglo-American Empire that we've li- lived under for for so long. And that doesn't mean that they're going to you know they're going to create uh, you know heaven on earth or whatever. But certainly these countries don't seem to be so. Um, ruthless, so ruthless, or so determined to kind of like just uh, steal everything from everyone all the time, you know. Um, that doesn't mean they mightn't turn into that in fifty years' time or something Maybe. like that. But certainly, there's—I don't think anybody would argue that it's time for a change. And uh, and I think the center of power in the world should always have been in Eurasia, given that Eurasia uh, constitutes the majority. What is seventy percent of the of the eighty? 80% of the world's landmass, uh, not landmass, but the resources of the world. Resources and people. And people. So, uh, yeah, pivoting, as they say, back to that in a natural way seems to be uh, the natural order of things. And But the U.S. and uh, and the Brits in particular 
are going to be fighting against it tooth and nail. And that's what we're seeing happening all over the place right now with these wars in Iraq and Syria. It's all linked to that. And the terror attacks, etc., the whole war on terror is associated with that, with an attempt by the U.S. and its partners to maintain their hegemony over the entire world because they see uh, this threat. And it's a very credible and a very real threat. And they should be afraid. But what they shouldn't be doing is trying to fight it because it's nature, baby. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, the British have actually had a very uh, perverted view of nature, too. But uh, that's just the British... Yeah, well, the Brits and the Americans, uh, there's not much between them, you know, as far as I'm concerned. They're they're ideologically and even genetically the same kind of people. And here, I mean the elite, you know, the elite in the U.S. are pretty much the descendants of the elite of the British Empire, you know. Yeah, it's funny because we found out uh, that Prince Andrew uh, was high up in the monarchy. He was giving, uh, he was at some dinner at state in Kazakhstan and he said, yes, we are playing the great game and we are out to win this time. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, he's... Oh, uh, God, don't talk to me about the royal family. <clears throat> well, yeah, unfortunately, the they're... <laughs> the great game, yes. That's exactly what's going on now. But, uh, yeah. yes, but uh, that's a nice thing. I'm a political activist. And... Uh, okay. Uh, Mr. LaRouche's wife was just in China. And uh, the official, essentially, state policy in terms of the moon... Uh, their moon space exploration policies and then collaboration with, like I said, Russia and so forth. That's actually explicitly created by Lyndon LaRouche, who says that it's time for the British Empire to die and go the way of history, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I'll push it off the cliff if I could. I know. So don't look at everything as totally testament. We are creating... Uh, a very optimistic situation where nations are deciding, well, we're going to have a future orientation instead of just being subjects of this fucking empire. Absolutely. Right on. Well said. Do you have a, do you have a blog or anything, Andrew, or do you write about anything like this? Um, not in particular. I have, uh, I have an archive site on YouTube for a lot of older LaRouche material, on right. particularly a lot of this geopolitics. You can actually see mm-hmm. very old uh, Anton Chaikin material, uh, Webster mm-hmm. Tarpley material. I mean, old Webster Tarpley speeches. Yeah. On the old. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Uh, under what name on YouTube? How did I find it? Uh, it's, it's called the Oakland LYM. O- o- Oakland LYM. Yeah. Oakland LYM. We right. used to have an Oakland uh, office in Oakland, California. Okay. Well, we'll check course, it out. Uh, and, that's, of course, the main thing is uh, LaRouchePack.com. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome, we just Andrew. had a very successful European conference that uh, just emphasized, again, that uh, these nations are very oriented towards creating a future based on these old Leibnizian concepts. Mm-hmm. On, on the president concept? of China. Uh, just a conflict had a concept of nations uh, working together, which essentially okay. was this, uh, printed to form by John Quincy Adams originally. Okay, it was his concept. All right, Andrew, listen, thanks for your call, and I hope you'll tune in again. Yes, I'll, I'll keep on the website, of course. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, all right. Thanks a million. Thank you. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Well, he mentioned BRICS, actually, and it's going to be interesting what happens today with the uh, Brazilian elections because, uh, well, first of all, there was another plane crash before the elections where uh, mysterious, you know, CIA, it's, it's things of the CIA all over. And then uh, Marina Silva is her name. She replaced this guy, Campos, who was killed. She ended up third in the first um, round. But now there's uh, she gave her votes to Aesio Neves, who he's just a CIA puppet. I mean, the, his past, his everything. I mean, and, yeah. and they're very close. I mean, I don't know if he'll win or the current president, Rousseff, is going to win, but I think that's going to determine quite a bit the uh, fate of BRICS, or at least what Brazil's role in it, and Brazil is a pretty big part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only five countries there, and well, he's, he's like he's already <coughs> telling um, American companies they can go in and and take oil from Brazil, and he's all about privatization and everything that she has done. Business as normal, yeah, yeah. business as usual. Everything well, that she has done, mm-hmm. he wants to destroy. You know, and they're yeah. using these petty things like, well, she um, she was involved, or she didn't know anything, or didn't do anything about uh, money laundering in in the main oil company Petrobras there. But I mean, it's like really petty defamation type of accusations. But the main thing is that he wants the U.S. back there. Yeah. Well, they. I mean, the fact that he actually is is said to be in a tight race with uh, Rousseff. Um, is kind of ridiculous because he's he doesn't represent the will of the vast majority of yeah. Brazilian people. So the very fact that he's getting anywhere suggests, you know, some kind of a manipulation of the of the electoral system. But uh, kind of recent latest news on it is that she still has an edge over him. You know, I mean, the latest polls were forty nine percent to her uh, compared with forty three percent for uh, for Neves. So. I yeah, mean, but what made me, makes me very nervous about that is that I don't believe it. That's even the right uh, percentages, you know. Mm-hmm. But they made it sound uh, sound like they were very close, and lo and behold, they have voting machines all over. Yeah. And how easy we know how easy it is to rig. Well, yeah, it could those be. elections. So if they really wanted him there, yeah, it could be a shock shock result. You know, uh, he beats her fifty one to forty nine or something stupid like that. You know. Hopefully it won't be, you know, but... Um, Hopefully not. We'll know tomorrow or tonight, but mm-hmm. um, it's not looking so well. I mean, if if it's the country that they can the, uh, manipulate the most easily into kind of trying to sabotage uh, the whole BRICS thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, them and South Africa. And South Africa, yeah, because they're not going to get China. Um, no. Then there's... Uh, China has got, like, India. a great... Wall around it, and mm-hmm. India hasn't been very friendly with the U.S. either recently. So uh, after the whole NSA thing, and f- friendly or not, India is kind of playing both mm-hmm. for now, softly, well, softly. It, well, India, India is one of the ones that signed up to this new uh, challenge, Chinese challenge yeah. to the IMF. You know, um, the only one. This is basically an Asian-centered uh, replacement for the. For the for the for the uh, for the World Bank and um, it the only ones that were opted out of it or opted out of it is Australia, Indonesia, and South Korea. All of which are kind of a well, particularly South Korea and Australia, basically just client regimes in the West. And John Kerry actually 
said specifically to the Australian Prime Minister to uh, not involve himself whatsoever in this uh, Chinese um, replacement for the world or, or challenger to the World Bank, you know. So they're getting really desperate. Across the board, we're seeing, you know, really, like I keep saying, the writing is on the wall for the American empire, Anglo-American empire, and uh, they're just, you know, they're hysterical about uh, I, I in love every it. way. I love it when these statements come out. I mean, that is sad as reported. John Kerry, the, the, the Secretary of State for the United States, telling the Prime Minister of another country, you will not be attending this meeting. Yeah, you will not involve yourself in a replacement for the World Bank. By Capiche? Capiche? Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, but it's freedom and democracy, you know. I'm starting to understand why the jihadis hate freedom and democracy <laughs> as defined by America. Maybe they're on to something. Um... Yeah, Ukrainian election ongoing right now. It looks like it's going to be swung, swing kind of heavily towards the West. But then, you know, Ukraine is like, I'm sorry for any Ukrainian listeners, but Ukrainian, Ukraine as a country is a joke. It's not even a banana republic. Well, maybe it is a banana republic. Um, but that's that's all you can say about it, you know. So, I mean, the fact that they're having elections doesn't mean anything. Uh, yeah, and the country's kind of about to default. Yeah, exactly. And, in fact, there's a good... Uh, uh, Example, <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's very appropriate uh, um, kind of example of uh, of Ukrainian politics. One of the uh, one of the people fighting for or running for election is uh, it's a woman. Uh, she's a helicopter pilot in the Ukrainian army, but she's in a, a psychiatric ward. And she's running for election in Ukraine from her psychiatric ward. So, I mean, for me, that epitomizes Ukrainian politics. And in Ukraine fact, is a psychiatric she, ward. Yeah, I hope she gets elected, to be honest. Because, to be honest... How's Darth Vader doing? I, th- I hope him and Darth Vader, or her and Darth Vader, uh, get elected, you know, because, uh, kind of honestly... Someone in a psychiatric ward would probably make better decisions than Poroshenko and Yats and the other kind of, uh, you know, cookie-cutter, <laughs> Victoria Newland cookie-cutter politicians that were selected by the State Department in Ukraine, um, you know, because they're just, they're not even worth talking about, really. Um, yeah, so one thing we didn't mention about the Ottawa story, the Ottawa jihadi terror attack was that one of the uh, very familiar uh, events surrounding this terror attack was um, that there were drills going on um, just prior to, there had been drills prior to the attack in Ottawa that um, predicted or foresaw precisely the scenario that played out um, how do you how do you explain that? How do you explain the fact that it was happening on 9-11, <clears throat> that it was happening during uh, the London bombings, that it was happening during the Boston bombings? Uh, it's it's a bit too consistent at this stage. Our leaders are just super vigilant, Joe. They're, they are. They see all... They're, yeah, they're pretty... Uh, they have an uncanny ability to predict these terror attacks uh, by way of... Of, of drills, and this was this was a, a, a senior journalist with uh, CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, who who reported this, and it's on YouTube if you want to go and check it out. Um, 
she said that they were the the CSIS on the Canadian intelligence and the Canadian security services were had planned uh, for an attack by one person in Ottawa. She didn't reveal all the details about it, but uh, she suggest, she said precisely this scenario would suggest that they were planning for an attack by one person against, at the war memorial, the war memorial, memorial the against the parliament and also in another Canadian town, she said. So both of them, Monday and Wednesday, the car attack and the shooting in Ottawa, she said that they, she said precisely these, this scenario. Um, do you want to hear her say that? Yeah, go on. Well. Adrian, you've been looking at this whole issue of radicalization uh, in depth over the last year or so. Uh, you've dealt That's her, with Adrian. security officials, and you, are, you know how they have been preparing for these kind of situations. What can you tell us about that? Well, I can tell you that they may have been surprised by the actual incidents, but not by the concept of them. Within the last month, we know that CSIS, the RCMP, the National Security Task Force, all uh, engaged in, uh, I suppose, they ran a scenario that's akin to a, a war games exercise, if you will, where they actually imagined, literally, an attack in Quebec, followed by a, an attack in another city, followed by a tip that, hey, some guys are coming back, some foreign fighters are coming back from Syria. So they were imagining a worst-case scenario. We're seeing elements uh, of that happening right now. But they were trying to figure out, in the event of that worst-case scenario, how do we maintain the integrity of the investigation? Who's in charge? You know, who calls the shots? Who does what? Who calls whom? So that is what they were trying to do. So this, people may talk today in terms of being surprised, but we know this precise scenario has been keeping them up at night for a while. Issue. Uh, today we were running an exercise for a company, bearing in mind I'm now in the private sector, and we sat everybody down in the city, a thousand people involved in the whole organization, but the crisis team and the most peculiar thing was we based our scenario on the simultaneous attacks on the underground and mainline station. So we had to suddenly switch an exercise from fictional to real. And one of the first things is, get that bureau number. When you have a list of people missing, tell them. And so it's a long to, time. Just to get this right, you were actually working today on an exercise that envisioned yes. virtually this scenario. Uh, almost precisely. I was up until 2 o'clock this morning because it, it's our job, my own company, Visor Consultants. We specialize in helping people to get their crisis management response. How do you jump from slow time thinking to quick time doing? And we chose a scenario with their assistance which is based on a terrorist attack because they're very close to uh, a property occupied by Jewish businessmen. They're in the city and there are more American banks in the city than there are in the whole of New York. A logical thing to do. And it, I've still so got how, the... I was I, say, how extraordinary today <laughs> must feel for you as, as it unfolds. You, you mentioned a few moments ago there our experience with Irish Republican terrorism. Yeah. And of course it, it was very different, wasn't it? Like Joe. However perverted their behaviour, the IRA believed itself to have some sort of code of honour and tended to issue warnings, although of course they often came late to do any good. Yeah, exactly, but uh, MI5 don't issue warnings. That's what, that's what differentiates them between the IRA. When the IRA plan a bombing, they release a warning and tell people to get out of the way. MI5 just go ahead and blow people up and blame it on... I say, that, is, that, was that, that is the most extraordinary thing. That's, that's peculiar. extraordinary. Peculiar. <laughs> <laughs> God, remarkable. I can't believe it. How could that possibly have happened? <laughs> <laughs> and you must be feeling... You must be feeling something there. I'm, I'm feeling rather ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> 
Psychos, I mean, they probably do get off on it. Yeah, well. They're out to protect us, Neil. I mean, they're psychic, too. That's what governments do. Yeah, anyway, back to uh, some local news. There's been some crazy stuff going on. Uh, that makes Local, like, earth-related. Yeah. Well, well, not earth-related, but local people-related. Just, you know, because you have these <clears throat> macro scale in terms of global events in the political in the political sphere happening and then they're kind of mirrored because when that kind of craziness is going on uh, with the elite and with the power brokers um, it's symptomatic you know it can't but be reflected in the societies over which they rule and which they have created you know uh, so there's a crazy hysteria madness uh, abuses uh, illegality criminality happening throughout society not just at the uh, in the upper echelons of, of power uh, it filters down to the population um, throughout society and uh, for example um, these are stories just from the past week uh, former prison guard avoids jail time after admitting to 25 counts of sexually abusing women inmates uh, it's a Kentucky correctional officer who was charged with sexually abusing women inmates was sentenced to probation without any jail time on Monday. <laughs> His attorney said he's really eager to put this behind him. I'm sure he is. That's the justice system in America. Um, a city has auctioned off, a U.S. city auctioned off a woman's house over a $95 tax bill they sent to the wrong address. The city of Norcross, Georgia, recently auctioned off uh, Zhu Li's home because she had an overdue tax bill of $94.85, which she never received. Um, <clears throat> she was recently told by the city that she must move out <clears throat> by November 25th because her condo had been legally sold to another person via city auction. She didn't get the mail, so they figured, well, she doesn't want to pay that $95. She must want to lose her house. We're going to sell her house. And they sold her house without telling her and then came and said, you don't own this house anymore. Get out. Out you go. Uh, that's uh, that's the U.S. banks, I suppose. Um, a Tennessee woman sentenced to jail for not mowing her lawn. That one is just... It's How true. much time did she get? A resident of Lenoir City, Tennessee. Uh, she spent six hours in a jail cell for failing to maintain her yard in accordance with the standards set by the city. Began last summer when, when um, she got a citation for overgrown grass and shrubbery. She works full time and has two children living at home. And uh, she admits that her yard needed some attention, but that it just wasn't feasible for her to do the work that she needed to do because she was busy. Uh, last week, the judge... <clears throat> Terry Van handed down a five-day jail sentence to Holloway for refusing to comply with the city ordinances regarding yard maintenance, specifically the lack thereof. Luckily, she wasn't a Muslim, otherwise it would have been a Muslim terror threat in the form of overgrown Muslim shrubs. You're not actually reading that out. No, that's... that's <laughs> that was your addition, right? Uh, she was never read her rights or told that she could have a lawyer present. That's the... Uh, Police system. Uh, police. And remember, folks, not a single banker, 
investment banker, city broker, has seen the inside of a jail cell yeah. since they pulled the plug on the world economy in 2008. Mm-hmm. Which causes people like uh, that last woman to have to uh, have work so many hours to pay because of the uh, because of the evisceration of, of the economy and the in- increasing cost of living. And um, she has to work so so much that she can't maintain her shrubs. And the uh, the laws <clears throat> in place have got so have filtered down right to the level of laws against uh, overgrown shrubbery. And she goes to jail for five days. Uh, police is a favorite, uh, everyone's favorite. The American police um, doctor assaulted by police at dying son's birthday, tasered so many times he had a heart attack. This is Montgomery, Ohio. Dr. Randall Cox was hosting his terminally ill son's 18th birthday when six police officers from two different precincts showed up at his door. When he opened the door, he was attacked by the officers, which happens all the time. Incident was captured on cell phone video. Somebody grabbed me around the neck. They body slammed me. Then multiple people got on top of me and I started getting tased. He was then arrested and hauled off to jail in front of his son, who was left devastated at what could be his last birthday. His son actually died several months later as a result of his terminal brain cancer. So this happened um, uh, a few months ago. How only, come, it's only what, coming out now. What was the reason for raiding the house? <clears throat> Here's the reason. Oh. Actually, so he, uh, because he was hospitalized because he suffered a heart attack and kidney failure because he was tased so many times. Um, it was his wife had... Uh, uh, called the police and filed a bogus claim against him. His ex-wife had filed a bogus claim against him that he had harassed her or something. And um, he had evidence that that wasn't the case, that he wasn't even there. And she eventually admitted that uh, she had made it up, whatever. But so basically on, on the say-so of his ex-wife that he had simply kind of... A infri- infri- I think she said that he she had a restraining order out against him yeah. and uh, and that he had approached her or talked to her or something like that and he had violated a restraining order and uh, he didn't. There was no restraining order ever in place. He had no problems with his ex-wife but she had obviously, for whatever reason, decided to make this claim against him, called the police, told them that there was a bogus restraining order that he had infringed it so they came, kicked down his door, um, well, knocked on his door then tased him at his son's birthday uh, and he had a heart attack as a result. He, he yeah, was yeah. black, wasn't he? He's yeah. black guy, yeah. It happens to black yeah. people. I couldn't imagine a white doctor no, getting the same treatment. Not at all. Um, and taser use in the UK, <clears throat> the good little lackey that the, K, the, the UK is uh, following its uh, psychopathic, uh, the, the psychopathic security policies of its masters in Washington has, um, a report has uh, revealed that uh, taser use in the UK is disproportionately used against mentally ill and minorities. Uh, evidence from a London Assembly shows that up to 30% of people tasered by the Metropolitan Police are emotionally or mentally distressed. It further shows 50% are from black or other minority ethnic backgrounds. They were used 10,500 times in the last 12 months, which is a 13% rise on last year. And there is little clarity on why the weapons are being increasingly used, except that the authorities are going insane. Yeah, absolutely insane. This. How much worse can it get? There's another one in the U.S. Authorities in Roy, Utah, are investigating a 35-year-old man's shooting death at the hands of a police SWAT team hours after he phoned a suicide prevention hotline seeking help. 
His name was Jose Calzada. He called the hotline at around 4 a.m. on Tuesday, threatening to kill himself. And then apparently um, he, the negotiator, the SWAT negotiator, spoke with uh, him for about seven hours before the talks, quote, failed. He was shot and killed around 11.15 a.m. Thank you very much. I'm just doing their civic duty. They killed him. Well, I read yeah. another story. There's a guy on a bridge, and they insisted he get down or else. And I think they tased him, and he fell backwards. Yeah. It's, I mean, well, the thing is, in that story, um, you have to allow for the fact that the cops who took the call from this guy, all they heard was suicide and kill. And they, they made, thought it was Muslim. Well, they made up jihadi themselves, so jihadi suicide kill, and they arrived at the door, and that was <sighs> all she wrote. In fairness, the murder is happening all over the place in the U.S., and cops are getting killed as well. Completely random attacks. We got well, this, the hatchet man. Well, this axe axe attack. Right? There's they, another they one. Class, they classified that as a, as a, as a, a terror attack, as Harrison said earlier on. Uh, this is definitely a terror attack because he's Muslim, and there's no reason. They said there's no reason why. They can't find any reason why this would have happened or what would have. But the guy had been posting on on Facebook about kind of social injustice in the U.S. and police brutality and stuff, right? Hello, there's your reason there. When people are reading about police and seeing stuff in Ferguson, etc., black people being shot out of hand by police you know, multiple times for, for no reason whatsoever, uh, it's reasonable to assume that the odd person among the thir- 320 million Americans might, uh, you know, hold a bit of a grudge against police. Right. But mentally unstable, not in a rational way, but certainly yeah. it can Ordinary explain. people aren't going to take a hatchet. No, no they're not. But there's yeah. a clear kind of a connection, a connection sure. there or a reason other than uh, Muslim terrorism. Right? So what was the other one? The other one was, um, I think there were three sheriff's deputies in a small town in Northern California um, killed. It was it's, it was so random. It happened a few months back, and there was a manhunt. I think they finally arrested a couple. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. That's the story. I mean, that's all. It's just it's, it, there wasn't any motive. There wasn't any connection with the cops. There wasn't any particular revenge motive for these cops. Uh, they're under arrest rather than being riddled with bullets. Like if you're a if you're a Muslim or if you're if you suit a particular agenda, well, we'll execute you on the spot. Uh, in fact, no, you don't need to suit a particular agenda. What am I saying? News this week came out that the the second kid who was shot dead by a cop in St. Louis, in no, another one happened mm, during afterwards. protests yeah, a month after. later yeah. in St. Louis proper. This is the one where the, where the kids b- bought a sandwich. He's armed with a sandwich and. He's seen running by the off-duty cop who decides to give chase. The autopsy now, independent autopsy, has confirmed that he was shot six times from behind. I.e., the story the cops made up about him being exchanging gunfire, he'd have to be facing the cop for that. It was complete BS. Mm-hmm. He was 17 years old. Um, on the ISIS front, just breaking news for anybody who's getting on a plane, German intel who gave us that reliable uh, story about uh, MH17, um, has warned that ISIS can shoot down passenger planes. Mm-hmm. It's 9-11 all over again, man. They're out to get us. It's 9-11 times a thousand. Yeah. 
the yeah, you know these guys are they're going to get man pads. Uh, I wonder how to do that. I mean, they will get them from Ukraine. They need they need like a proper launch, like a boot. No, yeah, they said no. they, they said they got the anti. No, no, the man pads, man yeah, pads. Can they reach thirty three thousand feet? No, but uh, not you know shortly after takeoff. Ah, uh-huh. you know, hiding in a bush, hiding in a bush, said an airport. As you do, as you do, you know, shoot down passenger planes. I mean, it worked so well in the past. You know, I mean, it would be very useful for ISIS to to do that uh, because you know they want to establish a caliphate and kick the Westerners out of um out of the Middle East and other areas, right? So the perfectly That's logical, the, the perfectly logical thing to do is to carry out a kind of an attack like nine eleven. You know, similar shoot down a passenger plane full of Westerners, uh, because that is the same kind of attack as nine eleven that caused the West to go and invade and occupy Middle Eastern countries, and that's what ISIS wants, isn't it? Like we just said, they want them to 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 to. to no, no, they don't want them to do that. But but why would they? Why would they do the same thing then? Why would they? Why would they do something that would cause historically cause the West to invade their country if they want? The West leave. not to invade the country. It's almost like they're doing Hang the on, very thing. It, they're I, doing the very thing that the West wants to do. No, I can't be right. No, I thought That's I had. I thought I had this figured out. <laughs> well, I have to go know, back to the drawing board. It doesn't make any sense anymore. What's really going on uh, for months now? Well, um, before and, and ever since the, the the invasion, the bombing of Syria, there's been talk that the the United States and Turkey want to establish a no-fly zone, a buffer zone. Now, this seems like it would be the perfect pretext on which to establish this this buffer zone, this no-fly zone. Ah. But the reason they want to do it is there's been this problem with the Syrian Air Force. Now, early on, there was talk that they that they um, uh, well, basically they one of the things ISIS has done is taken over an air an air base, the Takba air air base in uh, eastern Syria, you know, close to closer to the the, the Turkish side. And so by establishing this no-fly zone, that gives them the excuse to shoot down Syrian fighters that violate this, this mm-hmm. no-fly zone. So it takes the Syrians totally out of the equation of providing any kind of security or uh, defense against ISIS mm-hmm. in that part of the country and leaves it wide open for an even greater military presence from the West. I mean, it's... Yep. Seems like that's what that's designed for. Yeah. Absolutely, they're tricky, sneaky, sneaky, tricksy hobbits. Well, quick weather roundup. Go ahead. So this week was sunny. No, wasn't sunny. It was terrible. It was it was good where we were, but uh, oh my god, there was flash flooding like uh, Tenerife. Got it got like. Six inches of rain in a day, and if you look, look, there are tons of video footage because there's so many tourists living, uh, staying there at the moment. They they go out this time of the year for some some sun. I mean, ten reefs halfway towards the equator on the west coast of Africa, off the desert, and the flash flooding there was unbelievable. Cars just boulders coming down the sides of the volcanoes. Cars washing down the streets. The same scenes in Jordan. Extreme flash flooding in Athens. Athens was 
battered as well. At the same time, they got a 5.2 earthquake today in Western Greece. Uh, something interesting is happening that does not bode well for this winter. It's going to be cold, folks, very cold. The temperature overnight in northern India, in northern China, plummeted 20 degrees. So they've gone from well, mild autumn weather to zero. Snow coverage for this time of year for Siberia is twice normal. In fact, if you look at, there's a map, we have an article about this on SOD. If you look at their satellite map, they compared this date at the same time last year. It's like Russia is just pure white, except for the the western part of it. Mm. Uh, Severe flash flooding in Oso, Washington. Is that how you pronounce the name of that place? O-S-O. Oso. 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 That's the scene where they had this massive landslide that killed like 50 people earlier this year. They are inundated again. Mm. Eight inches of rain fell in West Palm Beach, Florida four days ago. I don't know, eight inches of rain. Anyway, there's people, cars floating away in the street. and that, That's become the new normal. I mean, cars floating away in the street is like, yeah, that's whatever. It's a new form of transport. <laughs> you just put a... Yeah. UK and you Germany also had flash flooding. UK and Germany mm-hmm. this week. Yeah, the UK got the tail end of... Uh, uh, Gonzalo. Hurricane Gonzalo, Gonzalo. Yeah. The Mexicans High are coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a yeah, it's a Mexican terror. Uh, yeah, terror, all the way up terror, to northern Germany. Terror hurricane. And there weren't any sinkholes, but did you see the one about the uh, lake in China, the largest freshwater lake that shrank? It's shrinking by 30 centimeters a day. Like, it's one-third of what it was in three days. What's the name of that lake? Um, I can't remember the name. It wouldn't happen to be King Hai. Because I've got something here. The largest lake in China this week experienced two water spouts forming side by side. Experts were alarmed because normally this would only form in warm weather conditions. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It was minus two degrees. Extreme weather, weird, severe weather, never before seen as a result of a changing electromagnetic environment. Uh, Ebola? Anyone Ebola? Well, there's the first case in in Mali diagnosed. Mm -hmm. That's the sixth or the seventh African country. There's the guy in New York. There's a woman uh, in Australia. She traveled from West Africa to Australia, and she's in an isolation ward being tested for possible Ebola. She's 18 years old. Um, Was there another? Was there a case in New York? Yeah, Yeah. a doctor. Yeah. Uh, a woman, just on the environmental thing, a woman killed uh, as a massive wave hit a road in Bulgaria, which had been lashed with uh, heavy rain, strong winds and snow. Uh, roads and houses flooded in some cities. This was um, this was just uh, the past couple of days. Uh, a massive wave from a river. Uh, now that suggests that the rain was falling maybe further up or something, um, maybe in the hills and the mountains just caused, uh, you know, something, I don't know, but the river basically, a, a massive wave barreled down a river and, uh, and, and, and killed a woman. Um, Africa, oh, on, on, the, on the war front, uh, a momentous day when, um, which is today, when the US and the Brits officially 
leave the last base in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. Um, we'll see about of that. Course, of, well, I mean, officially, mm. uh, they are. <laughs> their war in Afghanistan has come to an end. Um, at least their their overt war has come to an end. Um, and the Brits, you know, the British imperialist pundits back at home are are always lamenting it. Uh, they don't like to give up little pieces of empire, you know, and um, they've been complaining that it was uh, fruitless and expensive. Uh, one of them is, is saying that it's fruitless. it was fruitless, the whole thing, for the past 12 years, 13 years, uh, was fruitless and expensive, which is such a lot of bullshit because they they spent so much money, taxpayers' money, on putting them there and they spent so much money on shooting guns and rockets and, you know, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, all over the place. That there are, you know, there Some are very, so very many more people, so many more millionaires in the UK in the armaments industry. Um, that it was very fruitful, and because it was expensive, so it should be Afghan fighting was fruitful because it was expensive. That's what the headline should be. Not Afghan fighting was fruitless and expensive. Fruitful because it was expensive. That's how it works. But you can't expect some. MI5 paid journalist to kind of tell the truth. So you only get the truth on Sot Talk Radio, right? Yeah, right on. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. And this Sunday we have come to the end of our show. So thanks to our listeners and to our caller and to our chatters who, as usual, have been having lots of fun in the chat room. We will be back next week with another show and we will be bringing you all of the latest news and analysis on that news as usual until then have a good one bye 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 bye